the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. Hour number two here as our live broadcast from the Bass Convention continues. Don't forget tonight, Bishop Bob Jackson from Maxville Gospel Church will be the keynote speaker. You can find the church located at 19300 Redwood Road in Castro Valley, 7 p.m. tonight. And details on the web again at BassConvention.org. That's BassConvention.org. Well, if you've been listening to KFAX of late, uh, you know that we have our own Paul Harvey. Well, he's not exactly Paul Harvey, but he spins a lot of interesting and engaging stories that ultimately have the same kind of values lessons, though, in this case, from a biblical perspective, as a Paul Harvey. So we'll call him the the Paul Harvey of Christian radio, (laughs) Dr. Timothy Hawkins, who is, of course, the senior pastor at Bible Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church of Oakland. You probably never expected to be called Paul Harvey. No, but now the rest of the story. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Well, Pastor, awfully good to have you come by and visit. I know a lot of our listeners get very engaged in hearing your stories day by day that it really slices out of out of life yes and lessons that help to illustrate not just the challenges that we face but ultimately what the biblical foundation and solutions need to be for daily practical application yes sir yes sir uh when we first um prayed about this i always knew that uh we would at some point be on radio as a matter of fact um, I knew that I needed to be on doing commute hours. I needed to be on to, to say a word of encouragement. Didn't need a lot of time. Just wanted to encourage someone on their journey. And um, that's why uh, we just have that short segment of time that we have. That's all we want, to come on and to encourage those uh, who might be struggling, those who just need to know stay on the wall, don't come down, don't let nothing distract you. One of the things I've always said is that right when you're at the brink of deliverance, you can always expect discouragement and distraction. Um, and every now and then you just need somebody to, to kind of help you to say, hey, stay on the road, stay on the path, keep your focus on God. And um, that's pretty much my story. Well, your daily messages, messages certainly accomplish uh, just that. and we, uh, we appreciate you sharing them every day. You've got a new book out. And we were just talking before the broadcast today. Your notebook is called The Empty Pulpit, Shifting Leadership for Greatness. This is such a timely book, and it's a book that impacts so many congregations, not only across the Bay Area, but across the country, really, where a pastor has been engaged in ministry for many, many years. Maybe he's even the founding pastor of a congregation. And as he moved down through the years, there's that constant forward thinking, forward looking, but it typically is the vision for the church yes. and ministry and the congregation. And more often than not, sadly, it doesn't include any vision when it comes to things like succession planning. Right. What happens if something happens to pastor? Yes. And so when you reach that juncture where maybe pastor can no longer serve for health reasons, or maybe he has suddenly pastored, pastored, passed away, that now there's a, a crisis in that congregation, in that body of believers, 
because there's no succession plan in place, there's a sense of a tremendous leadership vacuum that suddenly beset that church. Yes. And as a result, you get schisms, you get confusion. Sometimes churches even fail and close down as a Absolutely. result. Absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, when I was doing the research, let me just kind of give you the how the book came to be. Please. Um, I was, uh, had just completed my master's program. I was really just excited about the fact that I had finally completed the master's program. But a friend of mine um, had encouraged me. He said, um, he says, Hawk, he says, you need to make sure that uh, you give back what what would have been what been placed in you uh, I continued at the at the graduation and I made my mind up I'm going on to, to continue for the doctorate but what happened was uh, when we were uh, introduced to getting ready to write your dissertation they said you need to write about something you're passionate about uh, I am pastoring now I pastor Bible Fellowship Church great church uh, I had the privilege to have spent a year with my predecessor the privilege wish I had more time than that. But that year, thank God for the year. Um, but here it is. This is what happened. My predecessor saw um, that I was to succeed him before I even knew it. As a matter of fact, I was invited to come to Bible Fellowship just to preach. I was excited. I was associate minister at another church, um, was, would preach around town, but was invited to come and preach at his church, 11 o'clock hour call, that prime time. I was excited. I was happy with that. But he kept calling me back over and over again, come back, preach for me. This went on for about six months. And finally, um, one Sunday I was there. Uh, I told him, I said, look, thank you for the opportunity that I can come and preach for you. But I'll, I'm willing to help you even if I don't have to preach. If you need a glass of water, I will do that. He was up in age at this time. He'd been pastoring like 30, about 32 years. Um, and let me put a, a pin there. The average tenure for pastors is about 40 years, uh, particularly in the, the, the climate and the environment that I pastor in, the Baptist church. Usually, after that pastor will either get sick or pass on, the next guy that comes along, that ministry pretty much starts all over again. Uh, at this time, this church, when I was going there and first started visiting, it was 55 years old. I'm the third pastor. Okay, now it's 70 years old. I'm the third pastor. So the first pastor, 27 years, the succeeding pastor in the 30-something years, now here I am. Let me, let me tell you something, Craig. I've been pastoring for 15 years, but it doesn't feel like 15 at all. Matter of fact, I'm just now learning where things are at the church. <laughs> okay? It goes by so fast. It does. Okay? And before you know it, it's 10 years. And then as you start getting a grip on this, it's 15 years. And then it starts getting good. You start building, progressing. It's 20 years. Before you know it, it's 25 uh, most of the pastors I interviewed when I was getting preparing my dissertation had told me that they had uh, realized how long they had been pastoring when it came time for their anniversaries and or retirement. And they, some of them didn't want to give it up. And the reason they didn't, because there was no preparation coming in. Uh, but what I did when I went to do the research, um, I started interviewing pastors uh, across denominational lines, uh, found out how terrible things are uh, when this transition occurred, church splits, lawsuits, etc. How it worked for me was when I began to um, put this, uh, the, this book together, 
uh, I called the president of the National Baptist Convention, and I asked him, I said, is there information out as to what churches should do uh, in pastoral transition? And the answer was? Nothing. Wow. You know, let me stop you there, because it, it, it strikes me the failure here in part, and I understand that sometimes it's insecurity, it's ego, it's we just get caught up in moving on, moving on, moving on. We never think about the end. And yeah. yet the notion of proper, proper pastoral succession is very biblical. Yes. Jesus himself said, I am going to be going to the Father. That's it. I'm going to send a helper for you because you're going to stay behind and do a job. And then once the apostles have received the Holy Spirit in the upper room and they were now prepared to go out in ministry, they would go to a town, they would share the gospel, they would begin to disciple and nurture. And even Paul said, hey, I'm going to teach a guy like Timothy. Mm -hmm. And then once I've instilled in him what I know, then I'm going to leave him here to do the work and I'm going to go on to the next town. Craig, I got one more. Jesus said, these works that I do, you shall do greater works than these. He was already preparing for his exit and preparing them to continue the ministry. What you want to accomplish in this book, and we're almost out of time, but what you want to accomplish in this book then, as I understand it, is to really to help pastors and congregations understand this is nothing to be terrified of or frightened of. That, in fact, there is a very biblical methodology that is in place that at the end of the day, pastoral succession is not only something that should be done, it needs to be done in order to honor God yes. and, and to honor the work, the foundation that's gone before so that we don't constantly tear down the foundation and start all over again, but instead can use that foundation to build it. So essentially what you're doing is very forward-looking for preparing the church for the next generation. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, um, I use the Moses-Joshua model. Moses uh, selected Joshua first as a spy to go in and spy out the land. God didn't reveal to Moses right off that when he would pick out Joshua, that Joshua was going to be his successor. It was God's timing. He revealed that to Moses, and at the right time, he then revealed it to Joshua. Then Moses presented Joshua, and listen to what the text said. As I was with Moses, Joshua, so shall I be with you. I am convinced, Craig, that when God moves Moses, when God get ready to shift Moses, Joshua's already in the house. And oftentimes we don't even consider that. We look beyond that. We go try to find somebody from anywhere else, USA, to come in and, and, and continue the ministry. A new guy come in, don't have no clue of what the vision is. And here's, I'll leave you with this little caveat. The vision is bigger than, than one person in, in one season. And we think that it's up to the pulpit committee to do the calling. Excuse me, God does the calling. He does. God says, I'll give you pastors after my own heart, not after what the congregation That's wants. That's exactly right. Boy, now, now you've just rattled. You've gone to meddling. Oh, we have to talk about this later. <laughs> you know, and I want to tell you, we, we, here's my list, and we got to point number two. So we are going to have you back. Okay. And uh, we invite folks, of course, to tune in each Monday through Friday to enjoy the insights offered by our special guest today, Dr. Timothy Hawkins. I'll mention, too, you can get information about his church, Bible Fellowship Mission. Baptist Church of Oakland on the web at BibleFellowshipMBC.org. We appreciate so much 
Dr. Hawkins, you dropping by, and I'm going to look forward you. to having you back. You We're going to bring you back. No constraints. Yes, We're just going to open it up. You can take as much time as you need. I look forward to it. All right. It. We'll let our listeners know when he'll be coming back to dive deeper into this new book, The Empty Pulpit, now available. Bookstores, is it out yet? Yes, uh, you can uh, get the book on our website, tnrhawkinsministries.com, uh, or you can um, you can also, uh, we have it at our church. We're here at uh, this uh, Bass Convention. The book is available here. That's right. you got a, you got an exhibit. I, I have here. an exhibit. So come on by yeah. and meet uh, Dr. Hawkins, learn more about the book. Dr. Timothy Hawkins, thank you so much for dropping by, and we'll look forward to hearing more from the Paul Harvey of Christian Radio uh, coming up tomorrow. All right. Right now, though, we're going to get a look at traffic and the latest in the KFAX Traffic Center with Michael Bennett. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back. 6.20 here on the clock. It's the Friday edition of Lifeline, live on location from the annual Bass Convention. Don't forget tonight, coming up at 7 p.m., our own Bishop Bob Jackson, senior pastor from Axeville Gospel Church in Oakland, will be the keynote speaker. And tomorrow, another treat for you, Pastor Brian Loritz from Abundant Life Christian Fellowship will be the keynoter. That's tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m. and tonight, Bishop Jackson at 7 p.m. Complete details again on the web at BassConvention.org. So much of this convention, as we've learned throughout the course of our broadcasting here the last couple of days, is to inspire, to encourage, to equip, and to train folks involved in ministry in albeit one, is one of the most challenging mission fields on the planet. In fact, the San Francisco Bay Area has the reputation for being the one region of the country that has the lowest per capita church attendance of anywhere in the world. And while at a level that might seem disappointing, and it certainly is, it also means that we are uniquely as believers here in the Bay Area planted in one of the most exciting, cutting-edge mission fields anywhere. And in fact, what's so unique about this opportunity is you can be involved in outreach, say in a city like San Francisco, and have an opportunity to touch literally tens of different people groups. In fact, I think San Francisco alone, there's something like 20, 25 different languages spoken, people represented from all over the world that visit San Francisco and call San Francisco home. What a missions opportunity. And right in the middle of that, we find an organization that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, YWAM, Youth with a Mission San Francisco. And joining me from YWAM San Francisco is Tanita Weeks. Tanita, welcome. Hello, thank you. Boy, you are really, I mean, talk about in the middle of the mission field. You are right there. In fact, YWAM is working right in the heart of the Tenderloin. Yeah, yeah. One, um, two of our buildings are yeah, right, right in the middle. We always say that missions is on our doorstep and that we're strategically located. Honestly, even just to go to the grocery store, sometimes you just encounter so much, so many people um, to talk to and, and share some of your life with and God with. Uh, just outside the door. Some of the stories, I'm sure, some of the people that you meet, it's heartbreaking. You see cases of of drug abuse and substance abuse and people that are homeless on the streets, Mm -hmm. people that are just, you know, facing a lot of challenges, economic, whatever Mm -hmm. the case might be that that has uh, entered into their life. And, And I guess as heartbreaking as it can be, every one of those people that you meet is an opportunity to give hope to and share the gospel with. Yeah, and exactly, and I think also an opportunity to see people are people, and and how similar we are to them, and different giftings that people have, and um, yeah, there's moments where I have piano lessons with some of my friends on the street, or 
we, we listen to music or we read the newspaper together and just so many opportunities to see despite the situation they're in that um, God has created them uniquely and that there's a place for true friendship, um, hope that they, we can give to them, but also hope that they can bring to us. San Francisco's YWAM is really an opportunity to almost come and be a part of a, a learning lab. Yeah. And you have folks that come from literally all over the country, all over the world to come here, learn about urban missions, get engaged, and then oftentimes folks will then, after a season with YWAM here, will go back home or wherever God has called them to, to implement many of the practices um, and, and things that they've learned with YWAM here back at home. Yeah, yeah, and that's what we love. I love seeing that. Like, we have a group that comes from Oregon every year, and they, they participate in something that we do every Friday night, which you can all be a part of, listeners out there. Come and join us. Um, but we go out and we give out hot chocolates, and we use that as a tool to share the gospel. And we have a group that came and did that, and then they took it back home and just said, hey, I can make hot chocolate. Like, we can do the same thing that we did with YWAM at home. And that's always our dream, just to keep um, showing people how to do ministry in a relational way um, and eat with people, sit with people, talk with people, and then say, okay, I can do that at home. And you really, in that sense, demystify it because so often people think that it's about methodology. Well, I'm afraid mm-hmm. I might say the wrong thing. Yeah. And, and gee, I don't know, God hasn't really called me to be a preacher or an evangelist. Mm-hmm. And yet the ministry of sharing the gospel is a task that we've all been assigned to yeah. uh, as part of the Great Commission. And, and, and the real key here, and you just touched on it, is relational. Yeah. We get so afraid, and yet we're just talking about people. Yeah and engaging people, and maybe it's breaking bread, sharing some coffee, whatever it might be, and in that process to just allow the Holy Spirit to open the doors. Yeah, I mean, I'm from a small town in England. I, I was going to say, yeah. I, <laughs> south of San Francisco, no, no yeah, not, not placing the accent. A little, a little further, a little further. And, but I didn't grow up around this or seeing this, and, and God called me here and called me very specifically to inner city ministry. And, you know, if I can do it and I can learn and, and be a part of this culture, um, then, yeah, then definitely you can do it. Some of my friends laugh at me on the street because they say, what happened to you? Like, you're, you know, you've got all this attitude now. And I always say, it's you. you know, being on the streets give me that attitude. <laughs> <Street's> uh, <nice. laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I definitely didn't come with that. Um, and what's the vision for you? I mean, in, in terms of your own story, is this to take yeah. it home someday? Be, be in London to share? What's the, uh, what do you think God is doing here? Oh, that is a good question. Um, I think... I am very called to the inner city of America. Um, if God calls me to go home, then I would definitely do that. But my, my vision here is just to see people, yeah, just walk in relationship with God and to be discipled and to, to come out of addiction, come out of homelessness, of course, but to, to see who God called them to be and to, to walk in it. And that's my vision. And to see more people join in that vision. Like people can go on the website, um, org, and they can see how they can get involved, and that's that's what we want, just them to come and participate. And if they want to stay, then great. So this wonderful. can either be a full-time vocation yeah. with an idea toward either being called and ministering here in San mm-hmm. Francisco, or as we mentioned before, learning many of the best practices here and then taking it back home to or wherever God has called you. Yeah. Um, this can also be people that just say, hey, I've got a few hours to spend every week. Yeah. I'd like to invest it in doing something that is significant, that can be life-changing, yeah. that meets real people on the real streets 
where there's real hurt and real pain, mm -hmm. where we can bring real love and real solutions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We have a food pantry people can get involved with, which gives um, out groceries to those who are low income, and that's on a Thursday, and people can come and get involved in that. And, um, hot chocolate and so many different opportunities um, that people can come and, and get involved with. Uh, one of my favorite stories actually is a, is a friend of mine who I just smiled at one day, literally just smiled. Two years later, he comes back. I haven't seen him. And he says, you know, that smile that one day you gave me made me literally think, man, I think I can change my life. Started going to church, started to get clean. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, I've been here for years doing a lot more than smiling. But, but it was just cool to see, man, you can just smile at somebody and genuinely begin to be the person that starts, like, um, yeah, them on a new place in their life. And that really demonstrates not only the power and impact of the move of the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. but also yeah. demonstrates that this is not that complicated. People yeah. sometimes get afraid of, ooh, inner city missions work. I don't know about that. Yeah. And, you know, there are homeless people and there are drug addicts that you're mm -hmm. going to encounter. And you're going to encounter young people that are there that are runaways or maybe you've been pulled into the vortex of sex trafficking. I mean, mm -hmm. all of that goes on. All of that's true. And yet at the end of the day, they're all just people. Yeah. They're people that are hurting, that are looking maybe for just the smile. Yeah. That will stop them, cause them to begin thinking, mm -hmm. and open that door of opportunity for the Holy Spirit to then begin ministering. Yeah, exactly. And, and you didn't come to this as an expert. So folks that want to learn this can come and say, I have no idea yep. what to do. I just have a burden. Yeah. And we will train you. We will we'll show you what to do, you know, what not to do. And we'll go out with you and, um, yeah, and, and help you do it. I've seen 10-year-old kids pray for people, wow. lay hands on people on the street and pray for them. And, um, yeah, we're definitely definitely willing to, to you know, walk with you alongside and show you what to do. That is do. really neat stuff. And, of yeah. course, if you want to get more information to find out about volunteering or maybe God is calling you even at a deeper level, you can check them out on the web, YWAM. That's Y-W-A-M. Think Youth with a Mission. YWAMSanFrancisco.org. That's YWAMSanFrancisco.org. You've got the center right down there in the Tenderloin, so yeah. you're in the midst of all the action right there yeah, in the city. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love it. I love it so much. Good stuff. Well, we appreciate, uh, Tanita, you dropping by and sharing Thank a bit you. of your story and a bit of the, the vision and the opportunity available to you with YWAM Ministries on the web at ywamsanfrancisco.org. That's ywamsanfrancisco.org. And our thanks to Tanita Weeks for being with us from YWAM. Right now, it's 6.30. That means, of course, time for an update on traffic. Back over to the KFAX Traffic Center once again and the latest with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the program. We continue on our live broadcast from the Bass Convention. Tonight at 7 o'clock, Bishop Bob Jackson speaking. He, of course, is the founding pastor of Axville Gospel Church in Oakland. That keynote will get underway this evening at 7 p.m. Complete details about uh, the convention and what's going to be happening here all day tomorrow online at BassConvention.org. Did you feel the earthquake? It was a significant one, and while it might not have registered on the traditional Richter scale, it is registering on hearts and minds and other types of scales all across the country. I am speaking specifically of what has been unearthed in the so-called Me Too movement, a movement that is really born out of pain, frustration, 
a movement that is born out of, I think, ultimately a disintegration of many traditional biblically-based values that has caused this major tear in the fabric of our society today. And I think many would suggest, as we've seen some of the scandals that have happened within, for example, Roman Catholicism and other stories that we've seen on the news, every story that's related to every broken marriage, uh, largely speaking, in America today, that all has one sort of a connection or another back to this matter of what has been happening in the toxicity of sexuality in America. Joining me now is the founder of Avenue Resource, and it's always great to have Clay Allen join us. Uh, Clay, there might be many that were surprised by this, but as you sat and watched many of these big names in Hollywood, both behind and in front of the camera, now have to answer to these accusations of sexual impropriety. Were you at all surprised? No, uh, I wasn't. Uh, no, uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not surprised at all. It's in Scripture. It's actually predicted in the Bible, and uh, it's across the board. There's an awakening happening in our country right now. God is trying to get us to turn back to him. And he will cause sufficient pain for us to do that, whatever it takes, because he is loving and he doesn't want us to go off the cliff. And so you see this across the board. It's not just Hollywood. It's media. It's sports. It's business. It's the church. We're in trouble, and God's trying to bring us back to him. Yeah, it, it strikes me in, in looking at sort of the revelations behind all of this that, that uh, while there's a lot of finger-pointing going around, that finger-pointing is universal at every exact corner that you can possibly imagine. In fact, uh, it, it's almost been comedic to a degree to see the way in which Hollywood has kind of been indignant about some of this. We had no idea this behavior was going on, yet I'm thinking the, the core to what has been funneled out to the public in terms of entertainment and what we see on television, on the Internet, movies, film, buildings, Billboards. I mean, you, you name it. It's from Madison Avenue to Hollywood to Wall Street, and sadly, even into our homes yeah. and into our pulpits. Yes. It's uh, incredible how widespread this is and how little is being done about it. Um, if, if you believe the stats that come out, and I see them all, and they're all different studies, um, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, 70% of men use pornography on a, a regular basis. They misuse sex on a regular basis. Count out 10 men in your church, in other words. Seven out of those 10 are struggling in some way. And for every man, there's at least one woman who's impacted. And then we have the studies about pastors who somewhere between 40 and 65%, 68% of pastors admit to using pornography on a regular basis, which then shows you where our leadership is in our church, and it answers the question, why is our church no longer leading our country? Why is our country no longer leading the world? This is the answer, and if you solve this problem, you solve everything else. And it all comes down to a personal decision, what are you going to do with your sexual behavior or the impact of the misuse of sex in your life if you're a woman? This imbalance, this misuse, whatever we wish to call it, that this this out of step with God's ideal really has been a epidemic throughout the history of mankind. I mean, yeah. I, I think of the fall in the Garden of Eden, oh, yeah. and one of the first things that we see happening in the Genesis account is the sudden realization by both Adam and Eve of their nakedness yeah. and resulting shame before God. And, and the tie into our sexuality there is very clear. So we see 
an aspect of, of Adamic sim nature that is kind of the, the thread throughout all of this in history. But the uptick that we've seen, <laughs> pardon me, recent in, in, in certainly Western culture, to be sure, but other cultures, too, this uptick in the last few generations. So what do we account that for? Failure again of the church? Well, that's part of it. It's also uh, God wanting to draw us back to him. You know, given enough time and prosperity, God knew that we would draw away from worshiping him. So in his loving mercy, he, he allows certain pain sufficient where we come back to him. And our church also is not taking a leadership role in this. 93% of all churches in America are not addressing this issue adequately. Think about that for a minute. If you're the devil, what an awesome game plan. If you're, if you're one for God, there's a huge, huge opportunity and obligation here to start doing something righteous for God as far, as far as our sexuality to bring the church back to God because our church has failed and in, 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 in falling away from the Lord. And all these other things are going to start following. You watch, the next one is going to be an economic downturn. It's in the Bible. Watch. There's a pattern in the Bible. And right now we're all wondering, you know, what's the next big thing that's going to happen? It's going to be an economic pain sufficient to draw Christians back to God. You know, what's interesting about this, you could look at this on surface level, and I would have thought prior to our conversation today that, well, you know, pastors are ignoring this. Uh, but then you think, well, wait a minute, how can they possibly be that blind to what's going on? I mean, you can pick up any newspaper, log on to read the news on any Internet, watch the 6 o'clock news, and yeah. we're seeing the, the, the outcome, the fallout of this. And yet you've kind of answered the question that I had lingering in the back of my mind, and that is when you've got such a large percentile of this happening equally within the church yeah. and within not only in the pews but in the pulpit as well no wonder so many pastors are afraid to get up and speak out on this that's it and and it's also seen as pandora's box okay so now you talk about it now you got all these pre people who want help what in the world do you do about it and i i've got the answer <laughs> the answer is found in god's word and his promise to restore us and I challenge anybody to, to argue the point that God cannot restore somebody who, no matter what they've been involved in, how long they've been involved, whoever they've hurt, God can restore. And there's two definitions of restoration, by the way, in case anybody listening is wondering. There's man's definition, and then there's God's definition, and the two completely different things. Mm. So we have to make sure we understand whose restoration we're talking about. Man's definition is to take something broken back to its original condition. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not God's idea because he has something better in mind. And God's uh, definition is to establish something more and better than the original condition, and then he's not done. He then takes that thing, whatever it is, a relationship or w your heart, your mind, and continually on a non-static dynamic basis establish something more and better on an ongoing basis so that we become more and better as we follow Jesus. Well, And that methodology would seem to me is, is not only convenient, but absolutely necessary for, for the, 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 the cure to provide permanent healing. And I say that because otherwise some folks would say, well, based on man's approach to this, it's easy to get reinfected over and over and over again because, let's face it, you're surrounded by the disease wherever you look. Even if you don't go looking for it, it finds you. Absolutely. <clears throat> and, and you're absolutely right. And if you don't do something about it definitive to what we call uh, identifying and healing the root causes, extracting them and replacing them with the gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit, it will come back. And it'll, uh, Luke 11 talks about this where it will come back seven times worse. 
and you're worse off than the original condition. So the antidote to that is to accept and receive and walk in God's restoration. And we show men how to do this. We show pastors how to do this. We show women who have been impacted by this how to do this. And then we train and teach churches how in the world do you do this in a confidential setting. You can do it in person, on the phone. You can do it on what we call VOGs, VOGs, visual online groups like with video conference. Very effective ways of helping people break free from this cycle and, and experience God's restoration when it comes to anything sexual that's been broken. You will be conducting a session here tomorrow at 2.15 on the topic of toxic sex, porn habits that ruin lives. And, of course, this is happening not only we think, well, those evil people out there that need God's word, this is happening inside the church, too. Well, if you read the scripture, God is specifically talking about his people, about getting right about this topic. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord. <laughs> exactly right. Folks want to get more information about this. We've just scratched the surface here today. And I, and I realize that perhaps, Clay, there are some people listening for whom there is so much pain surrounding this topic, yeah. either because of the pain that they know that they've caused a loved one or the pain that a loved one is suffering because they have a spouse that has not yet come into acknowledgement of yeah. the severity of the problem and the way it is damaging and bringing ruin to a relationship and how this can stand in the way not only of the capacity to have healthy relationships on the horizontal plane, but even on the vertical plane. If folks want to get more information, you mentioned about coursework that specifically speaks to the challenges faced uniquely by women and men. Are all those resources available through Avenue Resource? Yes. In fact, we have a new website, avenue.works, where people can find this information. They can join a group. They can get our materials. They can uh, get leadership material. And we also have a toll-free number, if we can share that with them, 877-326-7000. That's 877-326-7000. Contact us if you need help or if you know somebody who needs help, who's struggling and desperate for answers. If you want to be a church or a denomination leader, who wants to bring this into your church and start ministering to people, you're going to have the most vibrant, most profound ministry because what happens is people start to volunteer, they start to tithe, they start to take risk for Jesus that they never thought imaginably possible as they start to be restored by God. We should mention, too, that particularly for those in leadership, um, complete anonymity and privacy is yeah. always respected given the utmost priority and regard. So um, you can have a sense of security when you call that 800 number, 877-326-7000, or go online to get information about resources, workshops, other materials available, as well as groups for both men and women. Yes, and we also have special groups for pastors. Good stuff. And again, online at avenue.works. That's a relatively new URL, so if you're not familiar with it, think of it like uh, org.com, all of that. Avenue.works, that's avenue.works, or you can call again toll-free, 877-326-7000, 877-326-7000. Our thanks to uh, Clay Allen, the founder and president of Avenue Resource. Clay, always good to see you. Craig, same to you. God all right, you. we're here at uh, 15 away from the hour. Final look at traffic. Let's do it, shall we? Michael Bennett's got that wrap-up for you on the drive to the Bass Convention from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
All right, back to the conversation in the home stretch here. It is a Friday. We are live on location at the Bass Convention. And while we'll be wrapping up here in about 10 minutes, don't forget tonight at 7 o'clock, Bishop Bob Jackson, the keynote speaker from Axville Gospel Church in Oakland, will be here tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m. Pastor Brian Loritz from Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View will be speaking. And, of course, great workshops and classes going on all throughout tomorrow, Saturday, here at Redwood Chapel, located at 19300 Redwood Road in Castro Valley. Details and registration online for the Bass Convention at BassConvention.org. That's BassConvention.org. We talked earlier in the program tonight about leadership and instilling leadership qualities, especially in young people. And, you know, we can look at what's going on in America today morally, politically to be sure and we see the schism that's happening and so many say gee if this is where we're at today and there's such a leadership vacuum uh, in Washington DC or in Sacramento what's going to become of our nation in 10 or 20 years what's going to become of the church in 10 or 20 years instilling proper values in young people today is more important than perhaps ever before because there are so many challenges that happen. Uh, there are so many things that come and attack children um, morally and, and, and certainly in terms of opposing worldviews. And that's the reason why youth ministry today is perhaps more important than ever before. We're going to wave hi to Bishop Bob Jackson here. Keynote speaker coming up in just about 10 minutes. We'll look forward to that. Um, let's talk about this issue of instilling values in kids at an early age and uh, capturing not just their imaginations but their hearts for Christ. Joining me right now is our good friends from Awana, Dwight Honeycutt and Dan Lavalia. Guys, welcome. Thank you. Thank for you. Having us. And uh, Dwight, we were talking out there in the exhibit hall where there's an Awana booth literally exploded in the last couple of years. Why is that? Well, certainly it's the Lord that's behind it. But in Awana, we've raised up a generation of leaders, adult leaders, that have a vision to equip student leaders to serve alongside them to reach kids with the gospel and make lifelong followers of Jesus. And a big part of that is not just in the U.S., it's worldwide, focusing on equipping leaders rather than just equipping them with tools and handbooks and uniforms. Those are great. But we're focusing now on equipping the leader as a whole person so that they can go out and make disciples through God's Word with some basic tools and training and not have to depend on so much of what we had to in the past of uniforms, pins, buttons, badges, and handbooks. That's all good stuff, all great stuff. But we found we can be even more effective when we develop the leaders. And, wow, a couple years ago we had about 2 million kids in Awana worldwide. Now we're at 4.2 million kids worldwide. Growth in Africa has exceeded a million kids God is doing amazing things, and we have a goal of reaching 10 million kids weekly with the gospel in Awana worldwide by 2020. Wow. And, and from a practical side to this, Dan, there was something that Billy Graham, who was laid to rest today, said a number of years ago. In fact, he said it on, on multiple occasions in relationship to reaching young people for Christ. And he talked about the fact that the younger a person comes to faith in Christ the greater likelihood of them staying with their walk with the Lord throughout the entirety of their adult life. That is to suggest that sometimes people who find Christ later in life 
The draw, the allure of their old life, their old ways can sometimes pull them back into the vortex of sin and, and ultimately then backslide. But for young people who discover Jesus Christ at an early age and have that foundation that's laid in their heart of respect and application of God's word, the moral principles, the values of leadership that Dan was speaking of, who I was speaking about just a moment ago, is so critically important that, that learning to use programs like Awana early on can make such a difference, not only in what we do as a church and local ministry, but can have such an impact on our nation and on our globe. Yeah, it's, it's so true that, uh, you know, as we think about discipleship, we try and um, kind of distill it down sometimes to things like, well, just read the Bible, pray, worship, you know, do some serving or whatever. Kids are being formed in their heart and in their mind in a pretty powerful way that we can't see all the time. So their attitudes and their convictions are being formed at a very, very young age. They're seeing uh, things modeled in their homes, positive or negative. They're also having an impact on their homes, positive or negative. So, for example, uh, like in my story, I, I was able to influence my mom, who was far from Christ, not interested, and heading the other direction. Well, those kinds of stories happen, but we have to get kids involved in environments where they're actually going to get a moral foundation laid, they're also going to have a place where they can uh, hear the gospel and articulate it, think about it, wrestle with it, because it then shapes the attitudes and convictions that are, are, are being deep-seated into their, their heart, their psyche, so that over time they, they look back and they go, I remember that. I, I remember those scriptures. I remember those people. I remember those mentors and those people that loved on me and cared for me. And I can tell that this is the way that Christ served and sacrificed. I want to be more like that. And Dwight, this is engagement at a real personal relational level, isn't it? And, and, and I ask that question because, as you point out, Dan, there are so many areas in which there's a battle taking place here. There's a war. There is a war over the hearts and minds and very souls of our young people. And somebody's going to win that war. And the deciding factor is going to be whether or not we have poured into our children enough love, enough time, enough attention, enough truth to give them the tools that they need in order to be able to come out victors. And that relational approach to what Awana does suggests that, yes, we take nothing away from the importance of children attending church, reading God's Word, but discipleship and relational engagement at a young level is so critically important that helps essentially form that foundation and serves as a means to fill some of the vacuum, some of the void, because let's face it, if they're not involved in this, they're going to be engaged somewhere else because if it isn't a video game that's competing for their minds, it's the devil himself. Yes, yes. <clears throat> we like to look at it as two circles intersecting where we're bringing a ministry that is highly biblical but also highly relational. And where that intersects, that overlap, is what we call the great connection. That's what we are equipping our leaders to strive for. The Bible is God's word. The gospel is paramount. But if you just give them truth with no love and relationship, they're going to walk away. It produces rebellion. If you just give them relationship, it's all fun and games, but where's the truth? So we want to focus on that intersecting point, the great connection. And that's what makes lifelong followers of Jesus. And I would imagine, Dan, that to a degree this sounds like a little bit of a paradigm shift in the approach insofar as historically through all the years of Awana, the component of discipleship has always been there. 
But you're now adding, as we talk about these two circles that Dwight mentioned, sort of uh, reaching the crossover point together, you're adding a strong component of leadership as well. So you're not just building them and pouring into tomorrow's disciples, but tomorrow's leaders as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and something that's pretty important that comes out of the history of Awana is, uh, as you may or may not have heard, that uh, Art Rohrheim passed uh, just recently as well. Mm, and so the founder passes, and you know the question becomes, now what? Do, do we keep the things of the past? Do we go forward and so on? The, the essence of Awana has always been sort of the, the life on life, uh, Timothy and Paul kind of relationship. So Art was the kind of person who would bring together a group of people and say, hey, let's just get them all in the car and head over to the church and, and we're going to do some games together and we're going to do some teaching together and we're going to do some Bible study, but we're also going to do some scripture memory and so on. But for him, it was always about multiplying a disciple. And so he would get a few people together, he'd get them a little bit on their way, and then he'd say, okay, this is your empty circle, fill these chairs. And so he was always about leadership development from the very beginning. That was what was instilled into him through the same legacy that was going on with uh, Doc Latham and the history that goes back with Paul Rader, and that comes out of D.L. Moody, and on and on and on. There's this, this deep sense of we make disciples. We don't just go and go and go and make programs and administrate all things and don't lose any kids. That's the not-so-great commission. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that was the kind of ministry that he was so about, Second Timothy 2, 2, pass this on to, to reliable and, and, and trustworthy people who will pass it on to others. That was at his heart. Well, and that is also such a first-century book of Acts model that we see being played out here. I mean, some people might hear that and say, wow, what an exciting new concept. No, it's it's as old as the church itself. Uh, we would have lasted only until the last apostle petered out, and that would have been the end of this if it wasn't for that approach of training new leaders and discipleship and the ability to teach one, to replicate, and now you go out and Paul makes it Timothy and Timothy and on and on it goes. And, you know, I, I love to come back to that, that, that Pauline observation, follow me as I follow Christ. Set the example, and each one continues to do that, sort of, sort of the downline, almost like, uh, you know, multi-level marketing, but in a spiritual way. You could say that Jesus invented the first and most successful approach at that, of training up leaders, setting the example, mentoring, equipping, empowering, and then stepping away and saying, okay, you take the, the reins from here, I'm going to head off and now do it in another group. And that's exactly what Awana has done. For folks that want to find more information about how to implement an Awana program in their local church and, and really capture the vision of how that this can be an explosive way to not only increase the local church's outreach, but really to help build the nation's and the church's coming leaders, how can they get involved? Yeah, I'd say uh, first thing to do is to talk to somebody who is locally uh, representing Awana. So whether that's a church that's offering it or to talk to somebody like Dwight who up here in uh, Northern California and, and you know, they're missionaries who are, they're not missionaries for Awana, they're missionaries for making disciples relationally. They want to help you as a consultant, as a, a voice of how do we equip you to do this well. Of course, you can go to the website, awana.org, and there's a whole thing to you know, go through there. But, but to actually get in the relationship and experience, I think, is step one. Dwight? If you find a local church by going to awana.org, you can put in your zip code on the club finder. It'll tell you the churches in your area. 
it's great to see it modeled for you. That'll give you contact for information where you can visit a local church, see what they're doing in Awana, see it in action, and see where the Lord leads. And then we'll see in eternity as we celebrate what God does through your work serving Him. Good stuff. Again, I want to share the website. It's Awana, A-W-A-N-A, awana.org, awana.org. And our thanks to Dan Lavalia, who is in leadership development with Awana, and, of course, uh, Dwight Honeycutt. Guys, thanks for dropping by. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, Craig. You're welcome. Well, look at that. It is 7 o'clock, and a great note to end our live broadcast on. Coming up, of course, uh, tonight, 7 o'clock, Bishop Bob Jackson speaking. Tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m., Brian Loritz lead pastor from Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. Details again on the web about the Bass Convention at BassConvention.org. I want to thank Wanda Cornelius, who is coming up next, our on-site remote engineer, Greg Edwards, Mr. Jarrell Martin back at the studios, our producer, Wanda Sanchez, and a cast of thousands. Thanks so much for being with us. And, uh, hey, listen, stay dry this weekend. Till next time, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get on out there and share it. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.